1: Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Claire Robinson of GM Watch to talk about her experience with GMO myths and truths. Claire is the co-author with two genetic engineers of the new book, GMO Myths and Truths. A Citizen's Guide to the Evidence and Safety and Efficacy of Genetically Modified Crops, which is for sale on Amazon and in bookstores. GMO Myths and Truths summarizes the facts on GM crops and foods in simple terms that are accessible to the non-scientist but still relevant to scientists, policymakers, and educators. As her regular job, Claire is Managing Editor of GMWatch.org, a public news and information service on genetically modified crops and foods. She also grows some of her own food in her garden. Welcome to the show today, Claire.
2: Hello, Greg, and thank you so much for
0: inviting me. It's a real privilege. Absolutely, thank you so much for being here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Yes, certainly. I was really originally involved in um, anti-toxics activism, in oh, particular wow. waste, uh-huh. waste issues, and I was very aware of uh, toxics problems in general. And then in the middle of worrying about that, um, along came this new challenge, which was genetically <laughs> modified food. Right. And by then I had, I had read enough to know that the government, Uh, was not protecting us from um, the risks of toxic, certainly. And when I heard about genetically modified foods, it actually was not from environmental activists, it was from scientists. And they alerted me to the fact that this genetically modified food was uh, being released onto the US market and onto world markets and that there was a possibility it was not safe it hadn't been properly tested and there were very real risks with gm foods can and- you give us
0: can you give us a timeline on that
2: yeah, that was maybe the mid-90s mm-hmm. um, I was made aware of this. And then the worries did not go away and the scientists didn't um, tell us that we were okay after all. You know, the uh-huh. more that we found out, the more we got worried and the more the scientists were getting worried. Right. And so by 1999, I started working on the anti-GM campaign, uh-huh. um, really under the umbrella of GM Watch in the UK. UK, and we are a public news and information service that aims to keep the public informed Mm -hmm. about uh, genetically modified crops and the kind of deceptions that are being used to try to get the public to accept them. Bit by bit, my other work, I was also doing writing, editing, research work for, you know, very straight down the line, respectable clients, and Uh bit by bit, the GM work just took over. (laughs) So I, I started cutting down on the other stuff, right. which, you know, I was doing just to pay the bills. And slowly, slowly, the, the GM thing just took over. And really, for the last few years, I've been working on GM issues absolutely full time.
0: Hmm. It, it has a tendency to do that, doesn't it? Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, there's so much to do in that arena. So it, yeah. I want to I kind of laser in on something. You said the government Wasn't looking out for our good And you you, you sound like you're probably Not from the US So (laughs) are you talking About the US government or are you talking about another government
2: Well funnily enough, uh, when I started looking into toxics issues, I was living in the United States for a few years. Uh It was there that most of the scientists who were concerned about toxics were actually based. Um, This was a time when, in in my native country, in the UK, Uh really, the the whole of the scientific establishment was really saying, oh, there's nothing to worry about with pesticides and and toxic chemicals, you know, they're absolutely fine as long as they're in, in in the dose below the regulatory limits. Um, It was really scientists in America and um, activists in America who woke me up to the fact that actually the government was not protecting people from chemical risks. And uh, by the time that wake-up call had happened and then GM Foods came out, I thought, well, we've really got to do our own research and uh, Mm. rely on our Mm. own resources. Because certainly in America, the USDA, the US EPA, and in Britain, our own regulatory authorities are simply not looking out for the public interest.
0: So I know this might be a hot-button question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Why do you suppose the government isn't looking out for our best interests?
2: I think that all over the world, in the so-called developed com- countries, certainly um, governments have got too close to industry, mm. and. It it has been presented to me as a problem of the the industry actually designing the regulatory system for their own products.
0: Oh, really. So,
2: <laughs> so you know, industry scientists were, were very very involved in designing the uh, the tests and experiments that are used to test the safety of pesticides, and that has also been the case with GMOs. The uh-huh. industry people have been right in their. Talk- Talking to the government saying, um, and this is all over the world, this is in Europe as well as the US. And they've been saying, look, this is how you should test our products. And, you know, even if the, the genetically modified food is, is not substantially equivalent, not mm-hmm. the same as the non-GM crop that it was developed from, it's probably OK because, you know, crops vary a lot and um, mm. don't worry about it. And, and this system of on one hand saying that uh, the regulatory system ensures that the GM crop is substantially equivalent to the non-GM crop but on the other hand when differences are found they say well actually that doesn't matter and and that I'm afraid has gone into the regulatory system for GM crops all over the world Mm -hmm. and it's a case it's a case of the governments being too close to the industry. I have actually spoken to some government regulators in Europe who have said things like, it's not in industry's interest to put toxic or dangerous products onto the market. They have the best scientists and they know best. And uh, really, that is not a good attitude um, to approach these substances with. Uh, They should be... They should be approaching it in a very scientifically Mm -hmm. aggressive and challenging fashion and almost saying, look, we want to get independent scientists to really look at these substances and test them rigorously um, and try and find out if there's anything wrong with them or risky with them. That's the attitude they should be taking Mm. and they're not.
0: And they're not. Yeah. So a couple of things. And I I realized I haven't asked you to do this yet. So um, we're going to rewind this interview, not literally, but just metaphorically. We're going to rewind this interview a little bit. I'm going to ask you to define GM for us or GMO, those both terms. And I know most of our listeners probably know what those are, but I I want you to spend about a minute and just kind of explain that.
2: Okay, sure. A GM food, a genetically modified food, is a food in which the DNA of the organism has been altered by... A person, a human being or Mm -hmm. human beings in a laboratory in a way that would not happen naturally. Mm. That is a a valid definition of GM Mm -hmm. um, both in certain countries and also internationally. Mm -hmm. So basically changes are being made to the genome of organisms that would not happen in nature and this is done in order to confer um, a quality on the crop or Mm. um, sometimes on the animal because mm-hmm. some animals are now being genetically modified, right. it's to confer a trait that, that is not naturally present in that crop or organism or to enhance a trait which is naturally present but they want to make it make more, more so more. and typically nine, over 99% of all genetically modified crops in the world are genetically modified to do one or, of, of two things or sometimes both of these two things uh-huh. and that is to tolerate tolerate being sprayed with vast amounts of herbicides right that's something that would normally kill a crop as well as a weed Mm -hmm. Um, but these genetically modified crops are engineered to resist that and tolerate being sprayed with the herbicide Mm -hmm. the other type of GM crop which is uh, very common is an insecticidal crop that expresses Mm -hmm. its own insecticide in order to kill insect pests So when you eat that crop, you're basically eating a pesticide. And those are over 99% of all GM crops grown worldwide do one of those those two
0: things or or both both at once. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. And you mentioned something called substantially equivalent. Can you tell us what that means?
2: Yes. Really, there's a regulatory assumption that goes on all over the world with regard to GM crops, which is that GM crops... Are or should be substantially equivalent to the crop that they are developed from, mm-hmm. and that is the non-GM parent crop. And um, in America, also they have this this phrase called "grass," which is um, generally recognised as safe. Ah, and okay. the argument in America is very much that basically all we are doing with this genetically modified crop is we are cutting and pasting um, a gene which does one thing, uh-huh. um, it, it enables the crop to resist the herbicide or it enables the crop to uh, fight off pests and mm-hmm. kill pests and it doesn't do anything else. This is the big myth about GM crops. All we're doing is just cutting and pasting the trait that we want. Right. And um, Unfortunately, the, the genome is not like a Lego set. You can't just take a gene, uh, put it into another organism, and, or, or move it around, or edit it, and expect that there will be no knock-on effects, because actually genes do more than one thing. Right. They work together in very complex networks, um, Genetic engineers do not understand how genes work for the most part. It is a big black box that we don't really understand. And the idea that we can just manipulate one or two traits um, in a plant and not change other things in that plant um, has been proved wrong time and time again. Mm -hmm. Um, So really genetically modified crops, when they are tested, Two things are found. Typically, they're found to be compositionally different in ways that they're not supposed to be different from the parent crop. Uh-huh. And also, when they've been fed to animals, in some tests they've been found to be unexpectedly toxic or allergenic. And again, that shouldn't be the case. Um, hmm. You know, we're told that this crop is exactly the same as the non-GM parent, except for the desired trait, and that trait is perfectly safe. This is is not being borne out by the science on GM crops.
0: So, when you say not being borne out, it's not proving to be the case.
2: Well, what what we're finding is when GM crops are analysed and compared to the non-GM parent, Uh they are found to be compositionally different Different. in unexpected ways. Mm. And that could be, you know, that could be fine. But on the other hand, there could be um, changed chemistry within the plant, which Mm. could make it toxic or allergenic. And also, when these plants, uh, the GM crops, are fed to animals in proper, rigorous (laughs) um, Uh animal feeding trials... um, uh, they get to be compared with the non-GM parent, at least that's the ideal way of doing the study. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, uh, what is found is unexpected effects on the health of, of the animals that are eating GM. Mm. Sometimes they are toxic effects or signs of potential toxicity and typically the the tests that the industry does are only 90 days in rats mm-hmm. and that is right. not long enough not to long see enough. long-term health problems which take time to show up like cancer or serious organ damage
3: mm-hmm.
2: typically what you find over 90 days is that differences are found in the gm fed animals these might be signs of toxicity might be signs of early disease but those tests are not extended to longer periods so then you so really don't know. They they should really be um, testing all these crops over the long term, and right. they're not doing that. Hmm.
0: Interesting. So it sounds like you've done a lot of research, and you've got a lot of background here. So you wrote a book, right? Yes. Tell yes, us a, we tell, wrote a book. Tell us about that.
2: Well, we got very fed up. Um, me and two genetic engineers, we got very fed up with constantly hearing that there was no science um, that urged caution on GM. You know, that, that if you were into science and if you cared about science, then you thought GM crops were great. And the science-based case was basically to support GM crops. We got very fed up with hearing that because we knew that there was quite a bit of evidence suggesting that GM and crops were risky in unexpected ways.
3: Uh-huh.
2: So we decided, we, we were also fed up with being asked the same questions by concerned people over and over again, you know um, what, what evidence is there that GM crops are dangerous, are they telling the truth when they say that they're safe are uh-huh. they safe for the environment, and we thought what's needed is, is just to get this together in a, in a book initially we actually did um, an online free downloadable report uh-huh. um, called GMO Myths and Truth. Right. that was version one, uh-huh. and uh, we we published that back in 2012 and it was an unexpected hit I mean, we, we thought that it was a very, it is a very dry work you know, it's not uh-huh. the kind of thing that you take to bed and read as an exciting <laughs> novel, right. it's not bedtime reading at all so we thought, well this is a very dry report, you know, it'll, it'll probably be downloaded a few times we simply were not expecting the response we got which is hundreds and Thousands of downloads in quite a short time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So this this was amazing to us. So we we thought after a couple of years, 2014. Okay, some of the science here um, has been updated, so we should do an update, and we did that. And time and time again, people were saying to us, well, it's great that you've done this, you know, but it's, it's now a very long PDF. It's available online.
3: Uh-huh.
2: I don't want to sit there and print out this huge, long doc- document on my home printer. Right. And also, if I want to give it to my local MP or um, senator, I can't do that. You know, I can't just give him a whole load of papers printed out from my home printer. Uh-huh. So, please, could you do a book? So, we did a book. We, we cut it down in length um, because other people were complaining also that it was too long (laughs) so we did cut it down and make it more concise and we've published it as a book um and that was published in december last year 2015 it's called so as you say it's now for sale
0: yeah so it's called gmo myths and truths a citizen guide a citizen's guide to the evidence on the safety and efficacy of genetically modified crops and i just went to amazon and typed in gmo myths and truths and that's what came up great very good fantastic so what is the most worrying aspect of gm crops for you
2: well for different people it's definitely different things you find with the whole gm crops issue that it, it it brings together a huge number of concerns that people have. For some people, it's corporate control of the food chain via patents. Um, in other cases, it's the risks to the environment, the herbicides that are used on, on the vast majority of GM crops. Mm-hmm. For me personally, it's the animal feeding studies. Um, oh, right. I, I was in touch with uh, Dr. Arpad Pushtai. A scientist who was based in Britain Um, originally he comes from Hungary Uh and in the 1990s he he um, dropped a bombshell when he went public with his results from feeding uh, rats GM potatoes. Mm. Uh, Dr. Pushtai started out as a very keen enthusiast about GM crops. He believed that they uh, might be able to give us higher yields, that we might be able to cut down on pesticide use Um, he was enthusiastic and he got a grant um, from the Scottish Government to Try to look for ways that these these GM crops could be tested on animals to see if they were safe so he was basically just uh, trying to establish a proper methodology and he did it with some GM potatoes these potatoes had been engineered with a gene which was known to be um, to produce a protein that was non-toxic to mammals uh-huh. and that's why he felt perfectly confident that these potatoes would not be a problem so for him it was just just a matter of trying to establish um, a testing method that mm-hmm. future GM crops could could be tested by, mm-hmm. and he said these gm potatoes to one group of rats non-gm potatoes to another group of rats and was astonished to find that over a very short period of time there were problems with with the uh, the gm fed rats mm-hmm. uh, their immune systems seemed to be damaged they had damage to their intestines in fact the damage to the intestines was it, it seemed like a pre-cancerous state that he was seeing cell proliferation so that was a huge concern to him also he said the brains of the uh, gm fed rats were actually a little bit shrunken mm. compared with the, the brains of the non-gm fed
0: rats oh interesting
2: so he was very very concerned about this he went public on british tv and uh, <laughs> that really did drop a huge bombshell and what we saw in the uk was that the scientific establishment moved very, very fast to shut down um, Pushtai's research. His data was confiscated. His home and his lab were broken into. Hmm. The data was stolen. He and the rest of his team were forced to sign a gagging order to say that they would not speak publicly about this research or write about it. Right. Um, that gagging order is still on, in place um, in the case of some of Pushtai's team. In the case of himself, um, it was actually only lifted by an order from Parliament because Parliament can override these things. Uh-huh. And Parliament asked Dr Push to come and speak to them about GM Foods and they lifted that gagging order. So you know this this was a deeply deeply sinister development, hmm. and time and time again we see that when scientists um, uncover risks or problems with GM foods, they are vilified. Um, they lose their jobs. They lose their funding. They are attacked and criticised in public, um, in online forums. Mm-hmm. And these attacks are often done in a very, very orchestrated way. You know, they they decide to call the, the scientist an activist rather than a scientist. That was what they called um, a Mexican scientist who found GM contamination of Mexican maize. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, this has happened so many times now, it's really expected uh, that if if you are a scientist who uncovers a risk with a GM food, your career is, is basically likely to be over.
3: Hmm.
2: Um, and this is why we have to keep speaking out and um, really be the voice of, of these silent, silenced scientists. Uh-huh. Because it's, it's not the right thing to just shut down the research and try to discredit the messenger.
0: Yeah, exactly. Wow, so that's, that's pretty powerful stuff. Um, yeah. What kind of reception have you had for your book so far?
2: Well, I think I mentioned to you about the, uh, the online publications that uh-huh. really we, we were unexpectedly delighted. Um, it's too early to know how well the sales are going for the book. I know that the first print run did sell out pretty fast, so we, we've had to do a second print run.
0: Um, well, that sounds you know, good.
2: It, it is. It's very good. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic uh-huh. um, we're, we're frankly not in this to make money. I, right. I don't believe that this kind of book is really a way to make money um, oh, no. We're in it to, to keep the public informed and and date right. on this issue and to provide them with with what they've asked us for so many times
0: So are you a scientist?
2: No, I am not a scientist. Uh, I am a person who... Knows scientists and talks to scientists Uh and emails with scientists and I try to take the information that they give me and um, put it into a form that ordinary people can understand Um, I think it actually helps that I'm not a scientist because I can put myself in the position of of the average non-scientist out there and I always say that if I can understand it by the time scientists have explained it then Uh anybody can you know I'm uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't have this scientific background, so in some ways it, it helps me put myself in the position of the non-scientist.
0: But are you, are you understanding um, the science behind this then? Because don't you have to, um, don't you have to be a highly trained trained scientist to understand what's going on here?
2: I think. Uh, w- like me, well certainly I don't understand the intense technical details once they start talking about what actually happens Uh um, with the genes and the the things that happen inside the genome and using a lot of technical terms um, at that point I am lost um, <laughs> and I often at that point just just say to the scientists uh-huh. what are you trying to say here you know uh-huh. what relevance does this have to the average person out there and what they'll say is something like well it's not precise and it's not predictable um. and, and that's really all the public needs to know <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. we, we, we do provide some technical detail probably too much technical detail in GMO myths and truths for those people who want want that and need that uh-huh. but basically we we also provide um a summary at the beginning of every chapter. So mm. if you don't want the detail, you can just read the summary. Um, if you do want the detail, then we provide uh, very detailed references, and, and you can go and read more in the scientific papers that we reference.
0: So words that come to mind for me are, are science communicator or uh, somebody, you're, you're really taking all of this data and you're making it understandable. So you're, 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 is, is this book a, a, a layperson's manual to GMOs? It's a
2: layperson's manual. It, I've also been told by many, many scientists, and we have a, a list of reviews by scientists in the book itself, uh-huh. um, who have said that they find the book incredibly useful. Yeah, so um, it seems to be a reference book from for anybody, from concerned shoppers, uh, housewives, non-scientists, to scientists, to policy makers, to campaigners. Um, we... we it, it doesn't seem to be a, a, a necessarily a logical thing to go for all markets but in in effect that seems to be what's happened yeah. because all those kinds of people have told us that they found it useful
0: fantastic so that, that really brings my next question on and that's so why does your book matter to people who grow their own food our listeners
2: I know that your listeners are concerned about the quality of the food that they eat. Uh They're probably concerned about um, keeping healthy Uh and keeping
0: control of their food as well. That's a big one. And
2: Really, the whole genetically modified food venture is going to affect all those issues. Um, This is something that has been introduced into the food supply in the United States with no labelling. So Americans so far have had no clue which foods are genetically engineered and which are not.
3: Um, There's
2: no way of telling. So now, increasingly, um, just in the past few weeks, really, some companies have come out and said that they will label GM ingredients, which is a huge, huge victory for American consumers. But basically, this has been done to them without their consent, without their knowledge in many cases. And um, really, they need to know what what is being done to their food. Um, Obviously, the... The the thing that uh, people who care about their health and care about their food supply need to do is make sure you grow some of your own food, make Uh sure you save seeds and exchange seeds Mm -hmm. and that you look after your seed supply and keep those seeds free from genetic modification contamination Mm -hmm. and there are people and there are companies in the US which are dedicated to supplying um, non-GM and heirloom seeds so please support those companies, do your own seed saving, keep your own seeds, know what you're growing, Uh, make sure you keep away from the toxic chemicals because you know in future years we are really going to need an alternative food supply Mm -hmm. for the growing number of people who don't feel well when they eat chemically grown genetically modified foods and i've come across a number of people like this in the united states now there seems to be a growing number of people Uh uh-huh who either they've come to this realization on their own Mm -hmm. um, through getting sick and then recovering their health, or sometimes they've been told by their doctor um, or their health practitioner that they should be on a a GMO-free diet. And when they've made that change, they have found remarkable turnarounds, improvements in their health. In many cases, this is to do with children. Mm-hmm. Children seem to be suffering increasingly now yes. from allergies and food-related problems, and um, a number of parents now have told me that they've they've uh, they've created turnarounds in their children's health mm. and in their children's behavior as well because if, if a child isn't feeling well physically you know you you are often going to get behavioral problems yeah. so this this is now a, a huge issue in the united states um it's not commonly admitted in the mainstream press mm-hmm. or by the government of course but um it is happening so for all these reasons people
0: need to keep control of their food supply Mm -hmm. perfect so you started something you work on something called GM Watch can you tell us about that
2: Yes, Uh, GM Watch, I started working for GM Watch in 1999 and 2000 and it is a a public news and information service that keeps the public informed about genetically modified crops and associated pesticides. We also like to focus from time to time on the healthy alternatives so we promote organic farming and
3: permaculture projects. Mm -hmm.
2: We try to expose the deception and spin and really often scientific deception that is used to promote GM crops Mm -hmm. and uh, to get the public to accept them. And really, there are an awful lot of lies being told about GM crops, you know, that they yield better, that they're going to feed the world, Uh that they don't need so many pesticides. These are basically lies. And um, we deconstruct those lies in our book, GMO Myths and Truth, And in my daily work for GM
0: Watch, um, we try to do that as well. Hmm. So, uh, how do so do, do I sign up for an email list on GM Watch? How does yes. how do you communicate with? Yes, them? yes.
2: Uh, the public can go to gmwatch.org. We've got a huge archive dating back to nineteen ninety nine, with all the the articles that we've. Um, we've put on our site. Wow. Some of the content we, we generate ourselves and it's original content. Sometimes we just republish other articles that we feel are interesting. Sometimes we comment on them. So basically it's a, it's a whole kind of education service uh-huh. about uh, GM crops and foods. And people can sign up to our newsletters. Um, it's free to sign up. Obviously, we do appreciate donations when they come in, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't have to pay in order to subscribe to our newsletters. And also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, We're quite easy to find. Just go to gmwatch.org and you'll see all the links there.
0: Perfect. So, Claire, can you tell us what drives you? What's your big why behind all of this?
2: Yeah, I care about our health. I care about the quality of the food that we eat. I also hate being lied to. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I cannot bear um, this deliberate deception that goes on day in, day out about the risks relating to genetically modified crops and pesticides. Um, it's all about money. It's all about patents. It's about patenting and owning the food supply. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you realise that the people promoting GM crops are basically salesmen, even when they appear to be independent scientists, they often have connections to GM technology or mm-hmm. to the industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their careers are built on selling this technology to the public. And and I, I really do not like being lied to, and yeah. I live to um, yeah. try to bring the truth to
0: people. Right. So I'm all about education, and I have to know, uh, is there one book that has been influential for you in your learning about this and your process about this? Really?
2: I've been influenced by a number of people Mm -hmm. and books um, in my life Mm -hmm. and, you know, there have been particular scientists that I've told you about who really made light bulbs go off in my head. Uh Um, One one major book that really did change my life was a book called Our Stolen Future, which I read in the 1990s Mm -hmm. um, after it was published. And this was a book, actually not about GM crops and foods; it was a book about endocrine disrupting chemicals. and really this was a wake-up call because it was explaining that um, people's health was being undermined, our whole future was being undermined by endocrine-disrupting chemicals, which were often pesticides or um, chemicals that we'd been told by regulators were safe, or that we were only exposed to in very low, safe doses. Mm -hmm. Uh, This book showed me that actually there was no such thing as a safe dose of an Uh endocrine-disrupting chemical, because you can get very severe effects at very, very low doses. Mm -hmm. And also that the the regulatory system was not set up to detect the risks from these chemicals. And all of a sudden when I was reading this book, I I had this realisation that the government was really not looking out for our interests. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time I was living in the United States, um, but this applies to all governments um, in so-called developed countries all over the world um they are too close to industry they are very often not looking out for the public interest
0: Hmm. very good so what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners
2: yes i would say um eat organic grow your own food um keep control of your seeds uh please get active and informed on the GM issue because Mm -hmm. it will affect all of you, uh, potentially. And I would advise, first of all, informing yourself, reading GMO Myths and Truths, and Mm -hmm. uh, subscribing to GM Watch newsletters, and also join a group that is already active on Mm -hmm. this because um, the shared expertise, the shared experience is is your own best friend.
0: Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Claire. It's been a treat to chat with you. Well, thank you so much,
2: Greg. It's been a real joy to be on your show. Absolutely.
0: Thank you. And how can our listeners get a hold of you?
2: They can contact me via uh, the GM Watch website. Uh My email address is claire at gmwatch.org. But if they contact uh, anybody via the GM Watch website, um, I will receive that email.
0: Perfect. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org.